You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome to the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. It's great to be back with you. David, I've missed the last couple of weeks. I do apologize for that, but uh, court got in the way. That happens sometimes. Business is, is terrible for doing that. You, you know, know? It, it's terrible when you have to miss your favorite thing to do all week long, but, uh, you know, court just kind of sucks you in, and uh, sometimes the interview gets in the way, and that just happens sometimes. Uh, last week was an interview I had. Uh, it started at 9. That should have been over at 9.15. That lasted until about 11.30. All the immigration lawyers listening will go, yeah, been to that interview. Um, <laughs> the good news is that that uh, client, uh, for those of my immigration lawyer friends, that was a Stokes interview uh, on a marriage-based case, uh, which the clients passed with flying colors. Mostly because the American wife kept nagging the, Ameri- the the foreign national husband about it, and I was thinking more. I was sitting in that interview thinking, "Wow, I'm glad I'm not married to her." <laughs> I think the officer looked at it going, "Boy, I feel bad for the guy. I want to give him a green card." Woo, that was tough. Uh, but David, I, I didn't have a chance, and I really wanted to comment the day after oral argument two weeks ago yesterday in the Supreme Court uh, on the um, Texas versus U.S. case, or I guess it's now called U.S. versus Texas case. Because the Supreme Court, they read the, the 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 person appealing is is the is the main app uh, main name on the case, and uh, so uh, that oral argument was compelling. Uh, it was interesting. Uh, it's available online. Anybody wants to listen to it now can listen to it. I read the transcript of it uh, within the next day or so, and what was really interesting about that oral argument is one, I thought the the Solicitor General, Mr. Varelli, did an okay job. But this, this is the big problem when you send non-immigration lawyers to argue immigration cases. You, you just don't end up getting, at least from an immigration lawyer perspective, all, the, all of the law out there. Um, and then, of course, the, the questioning from some of the justices, including specifically Justice Alito, seemed to be intentionally ignorant of the law, intentionally uh, uh misinterpretive of what the law is. Uh, they should have started out the oral argument by saying, Judge, uh, Justices, this is the most complicated area of law in America today. Uh, it's an Alice in Wonderland event where words have different meanings than they have in real life, where policies don't make common sense, uh, electoral sense, economic sense, uh, and where there is a great deal of authority vested in the executive. And that's really what Congress has done, is they, because Congress, uh, and Margaret Stock, our good friend from Alaska, talked about this, because Congress has abdicated so much of its legislative responsibility to the executive branch, particularly in the immigration area, uh, you get people like Barack Obama uh, or, or George Bush or, or Bill Clinton or George Bush before him who can do things with the law that maybe Congress didn't want them to do but which they clearly have authority to do. In, in the context of this oral argument, it's an idea about whether the president can create priorities for deportation. And in so creating priorities for deportation, at least for a certain group of people, who meet certain criteria within a discretionary situation be given a temporary work permit while they are processed for deportation. I mean, that's that's how I would have phrased the oral argument going forward. That's not how Mr. Varelli phrased the oral argument going forward. Again, I thought he did an okay job, much better than they had done at the Fifth Circuit, and honestly, far, far better than they ever did uh, with uh, 
the district court judge in this case. But I'm not sh- I, 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 after our argument, I remained convinced, David, that we would win this case six to two. Uh, I do believe that Justice Kennedy and I do believe that Justice Roberts are going to side with the four Democratic appointees on the issue of standing. Uh, and uh, the four Democrat appointees were really interesting. I think, th- th- and this is where immigration makes for very weird bedfellows. Now, you know, as uh, somebody who's listened to a law program for eight years, that in order to go to court, you have to be damaged. You have to have a damage of some kind. We've talked about this before. The state of Texas' damage in this case is, hey, we charge 25 bucks for a driver's license and it costs us 75 We're losing 50 bucks in every license, so we're being damaged because now we've got to give licenses to all these people. The, uh, the other argument of that is, well, why don't you charge $75? You know, why are you intentionally hurting yourself? Man, I have a broken nose. I have a broken nose. I'm beating myself on the face. I have a broken nose. I need to sue somebody because I have a broken nose. You broke your own nose. Why are you going to sue somebody? It's it's no different, David. <laughs> uh, okay, that's Texas and their claim. Right. Nobody else's claim is before here. Okay. Well, the people, the other twenty some odd or thirty some odd states, they never presented joined, a case. But how can they join the suit? Aren't they saying it's the same problem? Well, in keep my in mind state? this suit's not resolved yet. This was this is the injunction phase of Texas versus U.S. There is no final decision in this case. This is not an appeal of the of the justice of judges, the district court judge's final Hannon's decision. This is an appeal of his or nationwide injunction for effectiveness of 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 his order. Nothing more. So the other case states have not brought their damage claims. I don't know what Georgia's damage claim is going to be. I presumed in Georgia they charged the full cost of the license. So I don't know what their damage claim is. But in order to get to the issue of whether Obama has authority to make to do what he did, you have to get past damages. So the other 26 states, damages are irrelevant because they haven't presented them yet. Texas was the lead plaintiff. They presented theirs. Hannon believes it's real injury. Well, what does it mean when the other states signed on with Texas? Well, they all have their own individual claims as to why they're damaged by this lawsuit. They really joined on to the Texas lawsuit, really, in the context of amicus. Yes, we support the, the Texas's argument on this that they that Texas has standing, uh, they've been damaged, and by the way, Obama's wrong on this. That's really where the other states are joining in. Yes, they're plaintiffs in the lawsuit, but their damages would have to be proven individually by each situation. But because there's a nationwide injunction in place because of one state's damages, it doesn't really matter what their damages are at this point. Uh, so, but presumably they haven't presented any, any other arguments. Um, and what was interesting about this is oh, the Democrats pointed out, but why are you punishing yourself? Why don't you? Well, we, we have chosen as a state to supplement. Well, then charge people more. Oh, we can't charge them more. We'll get sued. You don't know that. You don't know that. And it's only $75. You know, I don't know a single person who needs to drive who wouldn't pay 75 bucks for a license. I mean, frankly, I think they should be free because you're paying taxes, but that's just me. It also doesn't account, of course, we talked on the show before, about the money going into state coffers by people who now have driver's licenses, who now have work permits, are going to be able to work, who are going to increase state income taxes. You know, they haven't talked about that. But heaven forbid we should look at the positive side of this. Uh, So we look at the damages. And what was interesting, that was a big chunk of the oral argument. It's a huge chunk of the oral argument, and appropriately so. 
it's clear that the four democratically appointed justices uh, don't think Texas has been damaged. And even if Texas were damaged, it appears to me that they think that Obama has the authority to move forward on this case. Now, this case was only about the authority of the president to make this this specific immigration uh, uh, policy. It might split 4-4, maybe. But it's case not about that. To get there, you've got to get past standing. Uh, and here's where it gets really interesting. Generally speaking, generally speaking, uh, the Democratic justices are pretty liberal on standing. They're pretty liberal. They want lawsuits to go forward. You know, they're they're kind of a an open border litigation people. Go, you got You think you have a claim for damage? Yeah, that's a claim for damage. Uh, there was a case several years ago from the Supreme Court called Massachusetts versus the EPA. And in that lawsuit, uh, which Massachusetts lost at the appellate court level, but won at the Supreme Court, I think in a 7-2 or 8-1 decision, uh, I could be mistaken on that, but I think it was 7-2 or 8-1, uh, the justices said that the state of Massachusetts, which was suing the EPA, because the EPA was making certain environmental mandates in Connecticut that impacted Massachusetts's environment, that Massachusetts had the had the standing, their damage was sufficient, even though there was nothing occurring in Massachusetts because of the benefit because of the damages occurring in Connecticut, a sister state, and they would suffer. Except, who was in the minority of that lawsuit? John Roberts. John Roberts was in the minority. He said, Massachusetts, you do not have a direct injury here. You have not been directly impacted by this. Uh, and he, he is what you might call a strict constructionist on, uh, on standing, as are at least one of the other justices, and I can't recall who voted with him. It might have been Scalia, but I'm not really quite sure. Um, but clearly two of the Republican appointees found that Massachusetts had been impacted by that, and in fact, by him being impacted, uh, could sue. But if Roberts stays by his strict constructionist standing position, I don't see how he can find in favor of Texas standing, which would compel him to vote with the four Democrats, who I think would find there is no standing here because the injury itself is made up. It's a self-inflicted injury, whereas Massachusetts is, has no, no self-inflicted injury. It was clearly being impacted by... EPA laws in effect in Connecticut. So that's why I think that the court is likely still to go against the state of Texas here. Now, this is not an argument on the lawsuit. I mean, Hannon's going to get this case back. He's going to have discovery. He's going to have a trial on this lawsuit. But if there's no injunction in place, there's no damage. And if there's no damage, the case goes away. So if, if the Supreme Court rules, well, Texas, you have no damage, then the case goes back to the district court where other states can present whatever arguments they have on damages. The case will go forward, but there will be no injunction in place. With no injunction in place, then in, the law will go into effect while they argue about the validity of the law, uh, at least the term that Obama is president. And there's lots of moving parts here, but I, I having watched, having read the oral argument, Having listened to parts of the oral argument now, I just don't see uh, the Supreme Court, when it comes out with a decision in, ju- in June, 
because they on all hard cases they usually come out to the end of June, the last Monday or Thursday of the month, or the next last Monday or Thursday of the month with their decision in this case. And they say, no, the injunction is struck and down. There is no standing by the states here. Uh, and the case is accordingly remanded to the district court for further findings of fact on issues of damages from the other plaintiffs in the case. That's kind of how I see it going here. Uh, I just don't know whether I'm right. Uh, I haven't checked the bookies. You know, the, be- the place to check <laughs> on this would be the bookies in London. Ah. and uh, see where the bookies in London are taking this case. Because the bookies in London are are almost always right, except when the case comes to Le- uh, Leicester, versus Leicester City ver- versus the Premier League. Uh, but they're almost always right on this issue. So uh, I, I think that if you've got um, if you've got a situation where you've got a... Do uh, they really make book on it? Oh, they make book on everything over there. I mean, look look at the book on uh, on. Um, I knew they did it politically, but I didn't. Oh, know they make book on almost. I think I think we should check check the London bookies on whether or not uh, there is uh, odds on this. Uh, <laughs> people bet on all kinds of things, and I think um, if the city, if the state of Texas, uh, the Texas versus the U.S. Uh, is in fact um, uh, online, you want to see what those odds are. You're probably going to find out. Uh, that uh, the state of Texas is probably going to be at the losing end of that lawsuit if the bookies say it is. They're not always right, but they're right most of the time. That's why I think you can look and see uh, whether Hillary's going to win the election. You look at the bookies of that and see what the bookies say. The bookies are currently saying Hillary's going to win that election, but that's something for a different day. Um, How's she going to serve from jail? She's not going to be indicted. Oh. She's not going to be indicted. I mean, you have to be indicted to go to jail. Um, so that if you're not going to be indicted, you're going to be tried and convicted to go to jail. <laughs> uh, it is uh, it is something that uh, I think uh, uh, Hillary will talk about in, the ne- in one of the next segments. But as, as far as the state of Texas thing, we're going to look up and see if the bookies have given anything on this. If not, we're going to go with Chuck the bookie saying they're going to the, the state of Texas is going to lose. Let's take our break here on Immigration on America's Web Radio. Si usted tiene problemas con inmigración o asuntos que tiene que arreglar, llama a los abogados de Cook Immigration Partners. Somos en su lado. Tenemos más de 50 años de experiencia haciendo las leyes de inmigración y defendiendo a los inmigrantes. Llámenos hoy a las 404-816-8611, a las 404-816-8611 o al www.immigration.net. This is Daryl Pullis inviting you to listen to America's Homegrown Veggie Show right here every Saturday morning at 10 Eastern Time. Great guests, great tips, and valuable information about growing your own vegetables, fruits, and herbs. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business, or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Hey, welcome back to America's Web Radio. David, it's great to be back with you. So, We've now talked about the oral argument. I encourage our listeners to go online, pull up the oral argument, listen to it. It's fascinating. I thought the, ter- the Attorney General of the state of Texas did an okay job, but he's clearly lying. He lied to the court. He intentionally lied to the court about what the law is. Uh, my, one of my favorite quotes was Justice Alito, who said to this effect, how can somebody 
who is illegally in the United States be lawfully present under immigration law? That was the question, just uh, paraphrase at least, of the question Justice Alito asked. And I think that's a great question, David. How can somebody who is who came illegally, because there is no there is no crime for being illegal in the United States. That's it's it's a it's a civil violation to cross the border uh, to, to to have violated your status. It's a criminal violation of a misdemeanor and a five hundred dollar fine to have crossed the border illegally in a place that's not a port of entry. But it's like everything else. A crime is a crime. You don't. You know, you committed the crime. You're not illegal at that point. I mean, you you just on your way here, you sped, you broke the law. It's a misdemeanor in Georgia. You're not illegal. You just had previously broken law, and then people forget about it. Uh, so you, he was in, intentionally kind of conflating a couple things. How can you be illegally in the country? Which I presumed he meant to say, how can you have uh, unlawful presence in the United States? How can you have no status in the United States? and still be lawfully present. And what he intentionally did was conflate presence with status, both of which are terms of art in immigration. When I use the word term of art, do you know what I mean by that, David? Kind of a, kind of a law word. Interpretation in of... Term of law. Well, what it means, when you, use a, when you say this, is, this phrase or this word is a term of art, what we mean by that is it has specific legal meaning. It, it, which may be the same or may be different in the context of everyday speech. Uh, so status within immigration law refers specifically to some sort of visa, whether it be immigrant or non-immigrant status, uh, that gives you presence in the United States lawfully, typically, un- and that's why it's lawful status. Uh, presence, on the other hand, in the immigration context, uh, usually requires a modifier, that of either unlawful presence, which means somebody who has either violated their status or who has stayed here beyond the terms of their status. So presence flows from status, but they're not the same thing. And you can have times when you are not accruing unlawful presence and have no lawful status. This is where it gets weird. So you mean you can have basically lawful presence but no status. Yes, for example, if I come here as a visitor, I'm giving six months, but then I apply for asylum. When I apply for asylum, that does not extend my visitor visa status. It gives me an asylum applicant. Makes, it classifies me as an asylum applicant, which is not a technical status, but by being a valid asylum applicant, I do not accrue unlawful presence even though I have overstayed my visa, where I would normally accrue unlawful presence. So I have lawful presence, but not necessarily lawful status. Uh, And you can have, uh, you can't have somebody who's in lawful status who has unlawful presence, okay? Except in the context of this, and there's an exception. I'm on an H-1B visa, which is lawful status, but I work for somebody who's not my employer. Ah, I still have lawful status in that my H-1B is still technically valid. I have status, but I have violated that status, and thus I may have unlawful presence, but not unlawful presence that counts towards a bar. So you see how complicated this is, David. It's just crazy complicated. Dude, I guess with the help of their aides, the Supreme Court 
would understand it, but on their own, do you think they understand it? I think a couple of them do. I think a couple. I think, for example, Kagan worked on some immigration cases before she went on the bench. I think Sotomayor worked on immigration cases before she went on the bench. But honestly, they're probably the only two, and here's why. Um, uh, the immigration laws that, that, that impact this case, they came about in 1996. And while as Roberts was appointed after that, he was his whole career was in corporate stuff, so he probably never did an immigration case. Uh, Alito, same thing. He was in corporate and government, so he never really did an immigration case. And the other justices were all there when we passed IRA-IRA, when we passed the law. So they've likely never practiced in the context of these weird status presence discussions. So even if we get past standing, the question then becomes, can the Obama administration give people status? No. And that's where the big lie of the Attorney General. He says Obama is giving people lawful status. That is simply legally not true. And if I was Donald Trump, I would say he was a liar. Because that requires rather than he simply misstated the law, which is perhaps how somebody else might classify this, who's more 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 indirect. So if you have if you if you are saying as the as the attorney general did of the state of Texas that Obama's giving people lawful status, that is not true. What Obama is doing is authorizing not everybody who's eligible, but probably almost everybody who's eligible, to have a work permit. That work permit does not give anybody lawful status, but it does give them lawful presence. What the administration did in their policy memos, in their FAQs, is say, the moment you are in deferred action status, I'm giving you deferred action. That's not a lawful status. You can't get a green card. Lawful status would suggest you can change to another status. You cannot do that. But you stop accruing unlawful presence because we now know you're here. We know who you are. So we, we, we as the Attorney General, as the U.S. The DHS, given authority by Congress to interpret these rules, says you are no longer accruing unlawful presence, and if you're not accruing unlawful presence, your presence must be lawful. This is the basis of our lawsuit here in the state of Georgia on the issue of tuition, where lawful, lawful presence and lawful status are, are the big argument. So... This is the argument for if they get to standing, if they say, no, you know, we've got a majority that say standing exists, then they have to get to this explanation. Can the Obama administration give a work permit to most people who meet certain eligibility criteria or deferred action status without giving them lawful status? And honestly, David, uh, the law says they can. I don't see how the law says they can't. This is authority granted by Congress. If Congress doesn't like this, Congress needs to pass a law that gets on the president's desk and says you don't have authority to grant wholesale deferred action. But they've given that authority, and here's the interesting part. This has been on the books since Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan did this. George H.W. Bush did this in volume. So I think that you've got a situation where the the anti-immigration people making these arguments don't have a legal authority to stand on, but they may they may still win by having a tie. If it ends up four four, 
then we're stuck with the injunction. Now, Dave, what does this mean? A lot of clients have asked me what this means. So let's take the two scenarios. First scenario, Supreme Court ties four to four, and junction stays in place. All right. Well, that means there's no DAPA. That's it. So if you are somebody who would be eligible for DAPA, which means you've been here since 2010, you have U.S. citizen children, you are a person of good moral character, which means you have no criminal convictions and have likely paid your taxes if you've worked, uh, you are not going to get deferred action and you are not going to get a work permit. You're just not, it's not going to happen. Okay, Which means you're in exactly the same position that you are today. So the Supreme Court settling the case 4-4 essentially leaves us status quo. This case will then go to trial in Texas over the course of the next two years. We'll have a new president. Maybe the Congress will act, but the case is, DAPA is dead at that point. That's option one. Option two, the Supreme Court says there is no standing, uh, or even if there were standing, Obama's got authority. Congress gave it to him. Uh, they lift the injunction, and DAPA goes into effect. Now, DAPA will take probably somewhere in the neighborhood of one to two months to put into effect. I mean, you have to have bodies. You have to have a place to be. You have to have a uh, uh, computers. You have to have policy of some kind, some regs or something to tell us what to do. You have to have a form. None of those exist right now. Uh, so let's say the Supreme Court argues and it gives a decision at the end of June. Let's say June 25th. If June 25th is a decision, I think we can hope for an implementation date of maybe August 15th, maybe September one. And people can then begin applying for deferred action. Now, as a lawyer, David, my job is to tell our clients what is in their best interest and not just say, hey, you should do this. Think about this. If this starts, if this happens and it goes into effect, whose campaign does that help for president? Arguably, it helps the Trump campaign more than it helps the, the Hillary campaign. Because the Trump campaign would say, see, I told you we should build a wall, we should deport all these people. The day I'm president, this program ends. All right, he's going to say that. You can write this down. He's definitely going to say that. This program is going to end the day I'm president. So if you apply in, let's say, late August, maybe you get your work permit. Maybe you don't before January 20th when he gets sworn in. Honestly, as a lawyer, I will likely tell my clients... You might want to wait to file this until the second Wednesday in November. Because if on the second Wednesday of November, Donald Trump is the president-elect, you won't have wasted any money. We'll be happy to file for you beforehand. Maybe you are convinced Hillary's going to win. But, you know, the reality is he may win. And if he wins, this program's over. And at that point, you have hard decisions to make about your life. Now, I'll get into more stuff in the next segment, why Donald Trump is a joke. But for, for DAPA purposes, that's what you have to do, is tell people, do you want to apply or not apply? Now, on the, on the, does it help Hillary at all? People would argue, of course, because people will want to keep deferred action. They, all these people have U.S. citizen kids. They all have U.S. citizen relatives are going to want out and support Hillary. will say, I will not end this program. I will expand this program, uh, and, and, and I will work with Congress to pass immigration reform my first month in office or something like that. We'll see. I mean, I think it helps Donald more than it helps Hillary. Now, if the Supreme Court holds them 4-4 and keeps the stay in place, that most definitely helps Hillary. 
because now there is a huge incentive for people to come out and defeat this at the polls. So Hillary benefits and Obama benefits by the Supreme Court saying status quo is the same, we're not going to change anything, 4-4, send it back to district court. That's what Trump should be worried about. Trump should hope the Supreme Court rules against Texas because it will help his campaign more. Um, now, Dave, we probably should take a quick break here before we jump into our next segment. Is that okay with you? Let's take a quick break here on the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. Si usted ha casado con un ciudadano, o tiene problemas con inmigración, o tiene una oferta de trabajo, llama a los abogados de Cook Immigration Partners. Somos en su lado. Con más de 100 años de experiencia en la ley de inmigración, conocemos la ley y sabemos cómo ayudarle. Llámalos hoy a las 404-816-8611, a las 404-816-8611, o visítenos al www.immigration.net. Whether cruising the strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business, or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200, or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Web Radio. This is your host, Chuck Cook. Uh, and we're talking today uh, about uh, the election and the Supreme Court. So I wanted to kind of talk a little bit about what would a Donald Trump presidency really look like? What uh, on immigration? And how would people actually be affected? I'm probably going to blog on this on my blog at musingsonimmigration.net. But I'm thinking about this. Where would we go? Let's say, let, okay, let's say the, the impossible happens, lightning strikes, and Donald Trump on the second Wednesday in November, in November wakes up as president of elect of the United States. All right? Let's just imagine that happens, David. I know you're shocked by that, but let's say that happens. Uh, What would that mean? Well, uh, he would immediately begin to figure out who his cabinet was going to be. Now, we already know who he has publicly said would make an excellent Homeland Security Secretary. David, do you remember who he said that was? That would be your buddy Jeff Sessions from Alabama. Uh, the the most racist U.S. senator in Congress today. Uh, And uh, we know that Jeff Sessions is a spokesperson for the anti-immigration movement. So taking from there, knowing we're going to have the most anti-immigration administration, both legal and undocumented, by the way, They, they don't just oppose undocumented immigration, of which there's very little these days, but they oppose legal immigration as well. So we can expect, for example, Donald Trump 
uh, to announce on his inauguration speech that with, uh, construction will begin immediately on the wall. The only problem is that money he doesn't have. He's got to get that from Congress. So, Or he's going to, I guess, to pay a visit to Mexico with a bill and say to the Mexican President Peña Nieto, here is your bill for building the wall on our border. Please pay it. Uh, and I think they'll be scratching his faces like this down, down at the border like that. Um, so he will then, apparently, my guess is, he would then, first thing, put a tax on remittances. Now, again, I don't know how the president can put a tax on remittances, because I'm pretty sure only Congress can tax. So perhaps he could put a fee. Can you put a fee? Can, can, can the... Um, a president put a tax on medical. No, no, the Congress Congress did that on Obamacare. About Congress, that was in that was in the bill. Congress did that. Uh, can they put a? Here's I think they could put a fee because immigration can create. You know, immigration is authorized to put fees on though. I wonder if the Treasury Department is authorized to charge fees on international money transfers. Can they? Can they so maybe this they will create a a regulation. In the new Trump Treasury Department, I don't know who who do you think could be treasurer. Any any idea who who would take that from? He has apparently has no treasury policy. I mean, I don't think he knows what the University of Chicago is. I don't know what his policy would be. Uh, let's say he finds somebody stupid enough to be his treasury secretary. They create a reg that says on every there's a five dollar fee that go we call it the wall fee on every international monetary. Remittance to Mexico. I don't, I don't think you can just channel out Mexico, but let's say you can. And then he'll get enough money from that to build his wall. Uh, so that wall, which will cost somewhere in the neighborhood, what was it, $11, $11 billion? Some, something like that, David? Not including perpetual care? It's $11 billion, something like that. Uh, I don't, is that with or without the gold leaf? I, I don't know <laughs> if that includes the gold leaf or not. It might include the gold leaf. Well, it's going to be pretty. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be the most wonderful wall, I mean, ever built in the history of mankind. It's going to be more beautiful than that stupid wall in China. That's how it, it's going to be as beautiful as the Berlin Wall. As beautiful as that. Berlin. With or without the graffiti. I think the graffiti is going to be on one side only, oh. but maybe on this side, um, because I don't. But here's the thing: is they would have to build the wall inside the United States. Why don't? I don't, why do they worry about a solid wall? Why don't they just put up an electric fence? Well, because you can turn off electric fences. The wall's always going to be there. I think, David, it's a symbolism. He's looking for symbolism here. So, first day in office, they create a new policy at, at Department of Treasury to allow for the uh, confiscation of partial of the fees remittance to Mexico. Now, of course, what will people stop doing? They will stop sending money. Using Western... Uh, they will stop using Western <laughs> Union, right? <clears throat> so what they'll do, they'll just have people try to carry money. So you can carry money back and forth as long as you declare it. You have more than 10000 Yeah, I've got a million dollars in my bag. Okay, go through. They can only seize money that's not declared. But you, you can walk out of the country with a million bucks as long as you declare it. You can walk out of Mexico with a million bucks as long as you declare it. So people start just using it, and so maybe the money won't... Won't be there. So that's the first thing he'll do. He's got to, he's got to account for the wall. Second, he said he would deport everybody. All right, let's take a let's take a look at that, David. So 11 million people or so here undocumented, fewer than when Obama started as president. By the way, not more. Bush Bush can't say that. Bush went from like three million to 12 million. 
So how are we going to do that? Well, we probably start with people caught up in the in the criminal system or the traffic system. So I would I, I suggest we probably see uh, 287G come back with force. Uh, every county and every state in the country enrolling in 287G. ICE busier than a one-arm wallpaper hanger, deporting ma- single moms, leaving their U.S. citizen kids here. But at that point, I, I think the Trump de- deportation machine runs into a little problem. David, it's this pesky thing called the Constitution um, uh, and, and federal law, which requires anybody being deported from the U.S. to be allocated certain due process rights. Uh, these due process rights um, uh, include the right to a hearing uh, on your eligibility to remain in the United States. Uh, Congress has taken that right away from people who have been convicted of aggravated felons, uh, felonies. <laughs> these are supposedly very serious crimes, including uh, shoplifting and, uh, and a bar fight. Um, and so if, you're, if you have an aggravated felony, you don't have a right to a hearing unless you're afraid to go back to your home country. So presumably... If I'm the lawyer advising people who are being picked up, my advice was to be to, are you afraid to go back to your home country? What's the situation there? Perhaps we should look at an asylum case. And so if everybody who was being deported all of a sudden said, I'm afraid to go back, I want a hearing, um, that will essentially slow the system to literally a stop. Um, Plus, we know that somewhere in the neighborhood of probably upwards of 60% of the undocumented population in the U.S. have been here longer than 10 years. And if they've been here longer than 10 years and they have U.S. citizen children or, US, or spouses that are U.S. citizens or permanent residents, they're eligible, so long as they have no criminal conviction, they are eligible for cancellation of removal, the, the law of the 10-year, la ley de los 10 años. So they have a right to a hearing. And we know... Let's say that's everybody that's DAPA eligible is eligible for a cancellation or removal, almost. Uh, so let's say that's 3 to 5 million of the 11 million. And we know Congress has only allocated enough money for, let's say, 400,000, but let's stretch it to 500,000 people that can be deported. So it's not, a, it's not like a 12-year process or a 20-year process where you deport 500,000 a year of the 11 million and at the end of 20 years, everybody's gone because it doesn't account for people with new flow, but it also does not account for people who are eligible for relief. So if they're eligible for relief, they got to have a hearing in front of a judge, and there's only 250, 235 immigration judges. And we know right now that they're allocating hearing space primarily to first new arrivals and then to these people that have cancellation removal. So they're going to be in immigration court Right now, the earliest dates are 2019, 2020, 2021 in some places. So it's a five-year wait. So that, so these people can, most people, David, can actually outlast the first and likely only Trump administration. Um, so he won't end up deporting hardly anybody other than those that might be easily deported or agree to go home. So I think this idea of a Trump presidency, which would effectively hurt immigrants, yeah, it would hurt some people, but the reality is most people live day to day below the radar, and ICE doesn't have the manpower 
or the bodies to be going dragging, you know, single moms out of their apartment with their child screaming at their at their dress as they're dragged to some detention camp somewhere. Unless, of course, David, uh, uh, Mr. Trump activates the detention camps put in place under the Bush administration uh, in the guise of the uh, uh, FEM, the Federal Emergency Management under FEMA. Now, maybe these FEMA camps, David, could be temporary holding facilities for hundreds of thousands of immigrants. What, what do you think? you think that FEMA stuff is a possibility? No? No. No, that's for Americans, right, to go there when they're, when they're ready to pick <laughs> us up and put us in the guest chambers? Um, so I think a Donald Trump presidency looks very ineffectual, both on his wall and his deporting everybody. Although I can see the allure... Uh, watching um, yesterday Ted Cruz debate, and a debate is really a hard word to use, let's say try to convince a Trump supporter of the fact that Donald Trump is a moron and has no business being president of the United States, uh, what I learned from that, from that episode, have you seen that episode, David, uh, is that people don't care that Donald Trump will be an ineffectual president. People don't care that Donald Trump is playing them. People don't care that Donald Trump lies. They don't care because they're so fed up with the people who are elected politicians that they don't care. They figure, how bad could it get? That's only on the Republican side. But you have the reverse on the other the side. The other side is actually a little bit different, I think. On uh, well, with Hillary, I think it's a little different. they don't care. You know, if they if we had pictures of Hillary holding a gun. And the bullet coming out of the gun, they wouldn't, wouldn't care. It wouldn't matter. No. Uh, but keep in mind, Hillary uh, has received, you know, 10 million votes as well in a Democratic primary where she had actual real opposition, yeah, uh, which Trump never really had. Uh, because Trump never, you can't oppose somebody who has no beliefs. That's, and that's, I read it something this morning. That's the big problem that all these politicians running against Trump never realized is you can't run against somebody effectively who has no positions. He has no positions. He has no set beliefs. He has, he'll just do whatever's convenient. He'll say whatever's convenient. And the people want that right now. That's because they're tired of people with, I guess, set beliefs. So the thing with Bernie supporters, yeah, I mean, not all those Bernie supporters are going to vote for Hillary. But I will tell you, in a Trump versus Hillary campaign... Democrats are going to vote in block. And you're going to see very few. They'll see some. But you'll see very few people with historic Democratic ties vote for Donald Trump. And David, the electoral math is destructive for Trump. He's not going to win New York. Let's not kid ourselves. He's not going to win New Jersey. Let's not kid ourselves. He's not going to win Pennsylvania. And then you look at the other states which are which he would have to win. He starts out with 142 electoral votes. Hillary starts out with 243. She wins Florida. It's over. I don't see Trump winning Florida. I don't see how that's going to you know, It's possible. But even if he does, he still needs like 18 other states. And she needs two. That's it. She wins Virginia, North Carolina. It's over. You got the crazy stuff in North Carolina right now about the bathroom crap. That's going to be a, a, a 
bite in the butt bug when it comes to the Republicans in that state in, to, in, in, in November. So I think what you see here is Trump is not really, he's going to talk a big game, but he's not going to be able to do much macro. We're going to talk about the micro here in a second when we come back from our final break on the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. Soy Charles Cook, el jefe del grupo de abogados Cook Immigration Partners. Estoy en su lado, con más de 20 años de experiencia con la ley de inmigración. Conozco cómo ayudarle. Sé la ley. Y sé que alguna gente podemos ayudar. Llámanos hoy a las 404-816-8611. A las 404-816-8611. O visítenos en el internet. www.immigration.net With all the back and forth in today's politics... It seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business, or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200, or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to our final segment on today's show. We've been talking about the Supreme Court and about Donald Trump. So, David, I talked about the macro policy. Macro-wise... I mean, I don't see an, a real increase in deportations, and I do see Trump's inability to um, uh, to uh, to build the wall because he's not going to get the money from remittances that'll that'll disappear. I did want to note that um, Donald Trump's chances of winning the presidency are twenty five percent. So it looks like Hillary is a three to one or four to one favorite. Uh, to win the White House, uh, and, and that's apparently where the money's going in London is going to Hillary on this. Um, and so, if you're going to make if you're going to make bets on this, I think um, Hillary is probably uh, probably the one you want to put money on. Uh, although, if you really if you want to take the long shot, then definitely uh, Hillary is is not the person to put money on. Uh, you want you want to look at the presidential election. And so Hillary is a two to seven favorite. So not really great odds, right? I mean, for her it's great odds, but not good for making money. Trump is a three to one favorite. Um, so Trump's and Hillary. I mean, Hillary's got him beat by three times. Um, I think uh, she's. I think my 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 uh, my my statements earlier are really quite clear about who I think is going to win the presidency. Uh, now, David, on the micro issues on the Trump presidency. This is where he will have the most terrible effect on businesses. If Sessions is the uh, Homeland Security Director, I think you will see um, uh, our friend from Kansas, Chris Kobach, named to the administration. 
uh, as either maybe the head of immigration, maybe the head of ICE, maybe that maybe the assistant attorney general in charge of immigration issues. And you will see a massive change in policy internally. This is where, this is where they can make the disruption. They can now write regulations as they want them written. And you will see regulations written that will be destructive to, for example, the H-1B program. They'll be destructive to big and small businesses. You will see regulations written on the EB-5 program, which will effectively destroy that program and make it impossible to use. You will see regulations written on discretion and what discretion means, making the exercise of discretion something very, very difficult to do and thus limiting the ability of people to get favorable discretion from the government. You will see regulations written on uh, the processing of visas and the processing of adjustment applications and the processing of naturalization, which will effectively eliminate or uh, to reduce the ability of people to get green cards and citizenship in the United States. So the, the micro impact of a Trump presidency plus that presidency's impact on the adjudication of cases you think is bad now, my, my, my immigration friends. Wait till you see a Texas service center or a California service center or Vermont or Nebraska or Missouri under the auspices of a Trump presidency and a Sessions-led Homeland Security Department. You will see an extraordinary number of requests for evidence and a much higher denial rate on every kind of case, this is, it's the kind of thing that will literally drive foreign investment out of the United States. Our immigration laws in many ways are designed to bring investment to the United States. I think a Trump presidency would be a nightmare economically for America, um, a, a nightmare economically for investors in American enterprises uh, that are foreign-owned, buy these investment visas, buy these visas that bring people to work, buy these visas that bring people to extraordinary in the United States. For me, a Trump presidency would be far more destructive to America from an immigration policy perspective than a Clinton administration would. Um, I, I think Hillary understands immigration law, at least to a certain extent. Uh, she certainly legislated on it in the Congress a little bit and has been visited by many people. Uh, on the Hill, uh, on, on the use of my friends from New York. So I think she gets it. I think Trump has zero understanding of immigration law, other than the fact that his wife, who came as a visitor under a waiver program, so she was from Slovenia, she can come for 90 days and leave. And she's even said on the record, oh yeah, I'd come, I'd come for 90 days, I'd leave and I'd come back. And this way I never overstayed my visa. But what was she doing during those 90 days, David? She was working as a model. She was working illegally. So when she says she never broke the law, she broke the law. Clearly. Let's not kid ourselves about this. And she broke the law because that's the way our laws work. They're, they're so easily broken that, yes, that's absolutely going to happen. And so, and Donald Trump himself used these visa programs in ways for which they're not likely entitled. And he is being sued right now by an H-1B model for not living up to the to standards of that, of that law. So I think, uh, really, it's not necessarily voting for Trump to say, well, he'll fix our immigration laws. No, you need to look at who he's going to put in charge, and who he's going to put in charge will effectively destroy our immigration laws uh, in a way that will definitely hurt America long term. It is something, David, that, that probably concerns me more than anything else about a Trump presidency. Um, from an immigration lawyer perspective, David, 
we'll be busier than one-armed wallpaper hangers between court cases and visa cases and green cards. We'll be busy for a generation, but I don't know any immigration lawyer that wants to be busy that way. That's not what we're looking for. Every immigration lawyer I know is looking for a way out of our mess. How do I make our immigration laws easier to follow? How do I reduce the dependence on immigration lawyers? How can I make America easier to legally immigrate to? And that's not who Trump's followers are electing. That's now he's now he's not going to put on. Now, if Trump had not named Sessions and not named Sessions and had named, you know, Frank Sherry as his immigration policy manager, you know, the, some of the rest of the Trump stuff is crazy butt stuff. But who cares? Um, it is it is frightening to me to have uh, Jeff Sessions in charge of this stuff because I think that he alone. Uh, understands with the help of his anti-immigration allies in Washington, D.C., the inside the beltway people understand how they can effectuate their plan, which is really to reduce the population of America. And these are, anti, at, at, at core, these are anti-population people. There's some racism in there, too, but they're, uh, they're anti-population people, hearkening back to the, you know, the 1960s, David, when you were all about free love, you know, hey, America's getting America too big, the world's too big, we've got to shrink the population. We, we have plenty of food, we have plenty of properly managed, properly done. So, David, my, my concern here is, going forward, if we, in fact, do get um, 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 our friend Donald Trump in the White House, what that means for immigration going forward is something very bad for future flow. Now, I would hope that, as a one-term president, Donald Trump, uh, would be uh, nothing more than a flash in a pan, would be trumped, so to speak, by a Senate, which is likely to be run by the Democrats. I mean, that's almost a certainty if Trump is elected president. Um, and with a, with a Congress that may very well change in 2018, uh, in a midterm election that will go very badly for the GOP. Very badly for the GOP. They haven't known in, in a long time how badly that, that midterm is going to go for them, and it's going to be really bad. Remember back to 06 when the Democrats took control of the set of the House. That's how bad it's going to be on steroids. Uh, so I think uh, looking forward, we have a situation where, yes, Trump would be bad. Uh, he'd be really bad for immigrants. He'd be really bad for the American economy. He'd be really bad for foreign investment in America. Uh, but as God is my witness and he hears my words, I hope he'd be a one-term president. Uh, Hillary, on the other hand, deserves her own look-see. You know, what would Hillary do? Hillary said in her first 100 days in office she's going to get immigration reform passed, she's going to do X, Y, Z. I mean, I'm not holding my breath out for Hillary. But Hillary, I don't think, is going to make the same mistake, David, that all the GOP candidates made. She knows she's not running against a policy wonk. She's not running against a guy with any core beliefs. When she's confronted and says, why did you go to Donald Trump's wedding? You know her answer? Donald Trump throws a great party. He does. I'm sure he throws a great party. But at core, he has no beliefs. He doesn't really care. He doesn't care about Joe Sixpack out there. He doesn't care about Joe the Plumber out there. He only cares about himself and his businesses. Which, again, I think in a general election where he is forced to debate, you know why you've noticed this big surge in Trump support? They haven't done a debate in a month. So nobody's been able to challenge him directly. He just goes on TV and says whatever he wants, and they play it all day long. You never see Kasich on TV. 
You hardly ever see Cruz unless he does something stupid on TV. But you always see Trump. And you never see Clinton on TV. Occasionally you'll see Bernie, but you never see Hillary hardly ever on TV. Why? Because you're not saying crazy butt stuff. And he knows how to get the attention of the public. He knows how to get the attention of the media. And that is literally just to say whatever whatever crazy thought pops into your head, um, including my favorite thought today, which is Ted Cruz's father apparently helped Lee Harvey Oswald assassinate John Kennedy. Did you not hear this, David? Trump is talking about this. Where did he get this information? What's, what is his source for this information, David? The National Enquirer. The National Enquirer. Apparently, that's the magazine that Trump reads. Uh, I'm not sure he reads much else. So, David, that's kind of our show this week. We look forward to it. We're going to have a guest next week. Uh, Matt Chambalay is an immigration lawyer in, uh, in, uh, in Philadelphia. He has his own podcast. I'm inviting him as a friend to our podcast to come on to talk about immigration, talk about these issues that are out there that, that are vexing us every single day. So next week, say two, next Tuesday, uh, we live podcast at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. And, of course, as you all know, you can download us on iTunes or directly from America's Web Radio, where there's lots of other shows uh, on, on air, uh, none of which agree with us politically, but which are all <laughs> relatively entertaining. Uh, and you can see, David, is, is there a Trump supporter show out there? No, but we have the gardening show. They the gardening show. Uh, oh, by the way, David, I did, as you did, we wrote until our gardens, but nothing we can do to plant them. We'll talk maybe next week about planting those gardens. Till next week, this is your host, Chuck Cook, on the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. <laughs>